We must shock this nation with the power of love. We must shock this nation with the power of mercy. We must shock this nation and fight for justice for all. We can't give up on the heart of our democracy, not now, not ever. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. That moment of democracy inspiration was Reverend William Barber, co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, speaking at the Democratic National Convention. Moving from 2016 to today, I've got some updates for you on the latest redistricting and state voter suppression and protection efforts, and a look at the Supreme Court nomination and the first in the nation federal rank choice election process that's on the horizon in Alaska. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, Today's Tuesday, April 5th. Let's kick off with a look at the ongoing redistricting battles. I've been talking about the kind of back and forth of redistricting. We talked about the handful of maps left to be drawn. I've also mentioned how important the state and federal litigation happening on both the Democratic and the Republican side. Um, there have been a series of state court victories, uh, mostly favoring Democrats, especially North Carolina and Pennsylvania. But this last week, Democrats suffered several setbacks. So let's talk about what's been going on. Three big ones. On Friday, a Maryland judge invalidated the maps drawn by Democrats in the state of Maryland. After a confusing few days where the state legislature passed new maps and were awaiting the state's Republican governor's either signature or veto, and at the same time, the state Democratic attorney general announced he'd appeal the rule invalidating the first map, meaning we had two sets of maps in play. Democratic lawmakers have now struck a deal with Republican Governor Larry Hogan uh, yesterday. Hogan has agreed to sign the map. Democrats have agreed to drop their appeal of the state court ruling that struck down the original map. And as a result, what it looks like is that we'll have a map that's featuring six safe Democratic districts, one safe Republican district out on the eastern shore, and one Democratic-leaning district that could be vulnerable in November, depending on how polls and broader public opinion go. The discarded map would have created seven Democratic seats and one Republican seat that might have been competitive in future years. So this was a win for Republicans overall, win for fair maps in the judgments that have come down. Second, in Ohio, so on Tuesday, the Ohio Supreme Court scheduled a trial over the fourth set of maps that the GOP-controlled map drawing process has produced. This Ohio Supreme Court has kicked out three past maps, all saying they were gerrymandered, but this trial is set for well after the May 3rd primary date. And what that means is I've been talking about the, the calendar counts and the clock really matters. This likely leaves the gerrymandered maps in place for this fall. So a uh, blow for Democrats pushing for fairer maps in Ohio because the trial on the maps is going to be after the primary. And then third, still pending, is what's happening in New York. So on Thursday, a state trial judge ruled that the very aggressive, democratically drawn gerrymander needed to be redrawn, set an April 11th deadline. But then the Democratic legislative leadership appealed the decision that automatically stays the state ruling. So it means it leaves the current maps in place, and now we have a hearing that is scheduled for this Thursday by the state Supreme Court, and we'll see which way that goes. Right now, the Board of Elections is saying that candidates can still file petitions under the current maps that are in place. So 
remains to be seen. Everyone was expecting heavy litigation around the New York maps because they were the most aggressive, democratically drawn gerrymander in the country. Now we have the first plays coming out of the courts. Invalidated at the trial level, appealed to the state Supreme Court, so moving there. So this is going to continue to play out for the next few uh, weeks, next few months even, but the next few weeks will be really critical. And this is really about the balance of power because we know that Congress is so close in the overall balance of power. Which way one or two districts goes can affect who has the majority in the U.S. Congress. The other thing to look at have been some uh, developments, again, mostly from the courts, but also legislatively down in the states related to voter suppression. Good news first in uh, Florida. So a federal judge blocked most of the worst parts of the Florida voter suppression law. He blocked the requirement that put misleading warnings on third-party voter registration forms. He blocked the prohibition against people coming to lines and giving people water or anything else that might be considered you know, line-warming interventions. He blocked the severe dropbox restrictions that Florida had put in place. And on top of that, he actually put Florida under what are called pre-clearance requirements, meaning for the next 10 years, if the state of Florida wants to pass any law related to voter registration, related to line warming, or related to Dropbox, they have to get court approval before they can change and pass any future voter suppression laws for the next decade. So a win for voter, voter protection and for democracy in Florida. In Georgia, a Senate committee unanimously removed most of the contentious elements of the big elections bill that they were moving forward. You know, this is just the final days of the legislative process in Georgia. So they stripped out the voter intimidation tactics, giving the Georgia Bureau of Investigations the authority to investigate election fraud. They stripped out public inspection of ballots. They stripped out a new kind of repressive chain of custody requirements. They stripped out restrictions on how you private funding for elections. And at the same time, they're attempting to put it into a different bill so that they can try to still get it in front of Governor Kemp for signature, but it remains to be seen whether that happens. So good development, whether how things play out uh, remain to be seen. On the bad side, um, Arizona, New Hampshire. So Arizona has now passed a new likely unconstitutional proof of citizenship law for voting registration. This has been ruled unconstitutional in Kansas and Georgia and Alabama before. So the question is whether it will be ruled unconstitutional again in Arizona, but again, forcing something to be passed and now challenged um, in an attempt to suppress the vote. And in New Hampshire, they passed a very strict voter ID legislation. Currently, if you don't have your ID with you, you just complete an affidavit affirming your identity under penalty of perjury. Instead, you must now show your ID within 10 days after the election. It makes it one of the most restrictive voter ID laws in the country. So some good things, some bad things on state voter suppression, but these nuances matter. And these are the types of fights that are happening, especially because we don't have federal voter protections. The other things to talk about this week, uh, the big one is the candidate filing closed on Friday for the June 11th special election to replace Representative Don Young, the longest serving Republican in Congress who passed away recently. And so this new election is going to be the first federal election in American history to use this top four primary plus ranked choice voting runoff system. 
what it means is that the top four candidates who are running, regardless of their party, will face off in an instant general election. That's at four, August 16th. And then those four candidates are in a ranked choice voting process. You vote for your first, second, third, and fourth option along the ballot. And then if your first doesn't win, then all the fourths are thrown out and they reassign all of the priorities to the next level. So it gives this instant runoff process. We've never had this at a federal election. The idea behind it is that ranked choice voting generally makes it harder for really progressive or really conservative, the most extreme candidates to win, allows people to vote for whoever they like, but also then vote for the more moderate candidates as a second or a third choice. This race is going to be a doozy. There's 48 people who have registered to run. It includes half a dozen prominent contenders. Sarah Palin was a last minute entrant among 16 Republicans, six Democrats, and 26 unaffiliated candidates. So it's gonna be a lot to watch in the next few weeks, both for how this plays out for Alaska and for this seat, but also what does it look like for ranked choice voting? This has been heralded as a reform for democracy that's being pushed in different places. We saw the New York City mayor's race uh, had ranked choice voting last year. So whether this works well and picks up steam will be something to really keep an eye on. Also tied to ranked choice voting, the last thing I want to talk about is the Supreme Court nomination. So yesterday, Mitt Romney from Utah and Lisa Murkowski from Alaska joined Susan Collins from Maine as the three Republicans who've now said they'll support Judge Jackson's nomination. This all but means that her nomination is going to go through, but people have been watching Murkowski especially to understand if the fact that now her re-election, which will also be under ranked choice voting, will actually allow her to run to the middle and how it might impact these controversial and polarized political moments. She's being challenged from the right by a Trump-backed far-right Republican. She's a Republican herself, but running towards the middle and indeed coming out in support of Judge Jackson's nomination, many people feel is like, oh, she was able to do that because the new ranked choice voting style in Alaska may make that more viable for her. In terms of the nomination itself, the Senate Judiciary Committee deadlocked, as many people expected, on Judge Jackson's nomination. 11-11 tie forces Schumer to actually set up now a floor vote for the Senate, where a simple majority, 50 plus one, with Kamala Harris casting a tie-breaking vote, or perhaps not if Romney, Murkowski, or Collins support the procedural vote to move Jackson's nomination forward. So the vote's expected to succeed. That means we'll likely see a final confirmation vote for Jackson as the 116th and first black female justice of the Supreme Court by the end of the week. So that's what I've got for the review of developments in our democracy. I'm Jason Franklin, and I look forward to talking with you again next week on 10 Minutes on Democracy. Take care.